study in Joshua. And so if you want to go ahead and turn to Joshua chapter 14. And I do want to take just a moment to explain why I'm kind of skipping from chapter 10, where we last were, all the way to chapter 14. Because after about the middle of chapter 10, the, the nature of the book of Joshua kind of undergoes a shift or a change, uh, really a pretty abrupt shift. Uh, as we've been going through Joshua, we've been looking at these amazing narrative accounts of God bringing the children of Israel into the promised land. We've seen stunning stories of God's work. But, but beginning around the middle of chapter 10, and really going all the way through chapter 21, aside from the story of Caleb that we're going to look at this morning, uh, you, you really have uh, a very repetitive uh, list, recitation of the many, many cities and the many kings that Joshua and the army of Israel defeats. I mean, it's just they defeat this king this city, this king, this city. That goes on all the way from chapter 10 to, to chapter 21. You have the list of the 12 tribes of Israel, and not only that, but some of the clans and the individual families. There's descriptions with great detail of the geographical boundaries and the allotment of land that are given to these people. Uh, but quite honestly, if you like that reading, that's great. <laughs> uh, and, and, but if you don't mind today, we're going to skip over uh, some of that. And we're going to look at Caleb. That's who I want to focus in on today. So it's Joshua 14, uh, chapter 14, beginning with verse 6. Uh, the descendants of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal. And Caleb, the son of uh, Jephthah, the Kenizzite said to him, You know what the Lord promised Moses, the man of God, at Kadesh Barnea about you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the Lord's servant, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to scout the land, and I brought back an honest report. My brothers who went with me caused the people's hearts to melt with fear, but I remained loyal to the Lord my God. On that day, Moses promised me, the land where you have set foot will be an inheritance for you and your descendants forever because you have remained loyal to the Lord my God. As you see, the Lord has kept me alive these 45 years as he promised since the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel was journeying in the wilderness. Here I am today. 85 years old. I am still as strong today as I was the day Moses sent me out. My strength for battle and for daily tasks is now as it was then. Now give me this hill country the Lord promised me on that day. Because you heard then that the Anakim are there as well as the large fortified cities. Perhaps the Lord will be with me and I will drive them out as the Lord promised. 
Then Joshua blessed Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and gave him Hebron as an inheritance. Therefore, Hebron belongs to Caleb, son of Jephunneh the Kenizzite, as an inheritance to this day, because he remained loyal to the Lord, the God of Israel. Hebron's men used to be Kirith Arba. Arba was the greatest men among the Anakim. After him, the land had rest for many. What I'm going to say about Caleb can really be summed up in one very simple, simple truth. And, and it goes to apply to the song that we sang this morning. It goes to, to apply to the wedding that we had. It goes to apply to, to how we deal with life and death. How you perceive and think about God will inform and shape everything you perceive about everything else in life. And it's important for us to keep this in mind. It's important for us to understand this because in our world today, in our culture that we are a part of, a minority part of, this perspective is not nearly as prominent as it once was and certainly not as prominent as we would hope that it would be. I'm going to be pointing out or just kind of touching on how your concept of God will govern everything that you think about. It will govern how you think about politics, how you think about the economy, how you think about money, how you think about marriage, how you think about the death of a family member and how you deal with that, how you think about everything. But in today's world, this has been turned upside down, in, inverted. It's messed up. You know, people don't typically think. People don't interpret their circumstances in light of who God is. And we have to face that. We have to deal with that. I mean, so many of you were at Rebecca and Jonathan's wedding yesterday. And, and oh, you could see so clearly that they are interpreting their situations in light of who God is. It's, it's so wonderful. But they're not typical. No, they're not. Or they're not the average couple getting married in 2015. You know, people typically look at life. They look at the variety of experiences they have. They look at the relationships. They look at their work. They look at their family. Whatever it may be. And then from those experiences, from those circumstances, they draw conclusions about who God is and how he's going to interact in their life. And that's what I'm saying. This is what's upside down. You start from the top with who God is. And then you look at your circumstances. You don't start from the bottom look at, looking at your circumstances and try to define who God is. And so I want to call your attention to this man, Caleb, today, who didn't start from the ground up, who didn't look at life and all of its, all of its frustrations and its fears and its frailties. He didn't look at life's disappointments, even though he experienced them. He didn't look at them and then draw 
false or wrong conclusions about God. I want you to look at Caleb and in your heart, want to be like him as he looked from the top down, seeing everything in light of the perspective of who God is, because it changes how you view the world. And I'll start off with just giving maybe a couple of examples. Wow. When you hear news of international conflict, I mean, it could be anything from uh, the strife that's going on uh, in the Soviet Union, the strife that's going on in that, in that corner of the world. It could be the acts of terror that just happened in, in France, in Paris. What can fill your mind? I'm sure that there's some people in the world that feel panic attacks. They become fearful. There's some people that probably wonder if God is losing control over the world. But what does the scripture tell us to do? What is our mindset to be if we're going to think from the top down and define the situation based on who God is? Isaiah chapter 40, if you can just make a note of this, verses 15, 16, and then 21 to 24, help us to understand or help, help tell us how we should understand a situation like this it says this look the nations are a drop in a bucket they are considered as a speck of dust in the scales he lifts up the islands like fine dust all the nations are as nothing before him they are considered by him as nothingness and emptiness do you not know have you not heard has it not been declared to you from the beginning? Have you not considered the foundations of the earth? God is enthroned above the circle of the earth. Its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like thin cloth and spreads them out like a tent to live in. He reduces princes to nothing and makes the judges, leaders of the earth, irrational. They are barely planted, barely sown, their stem hardly takes root in the ground when he blows on them and they wither and their whirlwind carries them away like chaff. That's from God's perspective what's going on in the world and people think about it. What about when people attack you, hurl unjustified accusations, threaten to undermine your work, your ministry, Threaten to undermine your efforts in life or even threaten your very identity, your self-worth. If you come under this situation, does God shrink? Does it make you think that God is, is too small to protect you? <coughs> call to mind, you should, you should call to mind, dwell upon the word, Romans 8. Starting at verse 31 through 34. This is what Paul said. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Even in the midst of strife, even in the midst of being attacked. And you know, one thing I even just thought about as I was thinking about this. 
the, uh, I don't know if you've heard the news that the uh, fire chief in Atlanta got fired from his job for holding up to Christian values. He had, he had published a book about two years ago that stated, you know, pretty much just quoted Bible verses and stated what sin is. Straight scripture. He gets fired for this this week. But I'm sure that he is standing strong in the scripture. If God is for us, who can be against us? He did not even spare his own son, but offered him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Hmm. Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more has been raised. think about the new atheists that have come out with their attacks against Christianity. Another angry atheist writing another angry book denouncing the existence of God, mocking the God of Scripture. Or when a major media magazine comes out with an article attacking the, attacking the Bible just before Christmas, published Intentionally, no doubt, on December 23rd, what do we do? Do we throw up our hands and go, God, this is so frustrating, I just can't stand it? Or do we reissue in our heart with words from Psalm 2? Why do the nations rebel and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers conspire together against the Lord and his anointed one. They say, let us tear off the chains and free ourselves from the restraint. But the one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord ridicules them. Then he speaks to them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath. I have consecrated my mount, my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will declare the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your inheritance and the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will shatter them like pottery. So now, kings, be wise. Receive instruction, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with a reverential awe and rejoice with trembling. Pay homage to the Son. Or he will be angry and you will perish in your rebellion. For his anger may ignite at any moment. And yet all those who take refuge in him are happy. Hmm. So in these circumstances, in your own personal struggles, in your fears,
and it's just not tailored yet. If you're wondering why I haven't quite got to Caleb yet, it's because I wanted to, to have these points in mind as we take a look at, at Caleb. You see, Caleb was a man who saw everything in light of who God is. First of all, I want to I want to see what kind of a man Caleb was by looking back at the assignment that he and Joshua took part in. Remember, when Israel reached the border of the promised land, Moses commissioned 12 men, one from each of the tribes, to go into the land to spy it out, to determine who was there, how strong they were, and to bring a report back. And if you want to hold your place in, in Joshua, maybe flip to Numbers 13. Uh, Numbers 13, verse 17. It says this, When Moses sent them to scout out the land of Canaan, he told them, Go up this way to the Negev, then go into the hill country. See if what the land is like, and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. Is the land they live in good or bad? Are the cities they live in encampments or fortifications? Is the land fertile or unproductive? Are there trees in it or not? Be courageous. Bring back some fruit of the land. For it was the season for the first ripe grapes. Well, they went out 40 days, spying the land, and came back to Moses. Now remember that Joshua and Caleb were in this group of 12 men. Now, in Numbers 13, verse, 40, verse 25, it says this. At the end of 40 days, they returned from scouting out the land. The men went back to Moses, Aaron, and the entire Israelite community in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back a report for them and the whole community, and they showed them the fruit of the land. And they reported to Moses, We went into the land where you sent us, Indeed, it is flowing with milk and honey, and here are some of its fruit. However, the people living in the land are strong, and the cities are large and fortified. And we saw, we saw the descendants of Anak there, the Amalekites, are living in the land of the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites, they live in the hill country. And the Canaanites live by the sea and along the Jordan, and we're so scared. Um, let me tell you, my guess is that when Caleb heard these other men giving this report, he was probably furious. We read in the very next verse, Then Caleb quieted the people in the presence of Moses and said, Come, we must go up and take possession of the land because we can conquer it. Let's not delay a moment. This isn't going to be hard because God is with us. How dare you come back and bring this cowardly man-centered report? Bottom-up report is what these ten men brought back, not a thought there. The other ten men res responded by going, We can't go up against these people because they are stronger than we are. They are giants in the land. And, and then listen to this. To us, to ourselves, we seem like grasshoppers compared to them. They didn't say, we know that God sees those other people as grasshoppers. But they were seeing themselves as the grasshoppers. What's wrong here? What's wrong with this report? God never factored 
into their assessment of one another. God never played a role in their evaluation of what was going on. All they could see was a problem, and they proceeded to shrink when they saw the problem, when they encountered the problem. They continued to shrink until they saw themselves as grasshoppers compared to the other inhabitants, as opposed to seeing it from God's eyes and seeing the inhabitants of the land as the grasshoppers that God was going to crush under his feet. And Joshua and Caleb, on the other hand, they looked down on the situation from the perspective of God, from his power, from his promises. Think about it. Here are 12 men looking at the very same land, looking at the very same people, using, seeing, the, seeing the same thing with their eyes visually. Yet they bring back totally different reports. How, how can their conclusions be so opposite, so different? Well, it's, I think it's really simple. The ten looked at the land, looked at the people from man's perspective, while Joshua and Caleb looked at it from God's perspective. Just like I said, how you perceive and think about God will inform and shape how you think and perceive about everything else. This is a perfect example of that. The ten men let those circumstances and situations shape their view. And we see the result of that. We know one result. The Israelites spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness. But as we think about this, what can we say? Our own lives, in, in, in a sense, are really suspended hanging there and and they're suspended by whether or not we are going to make a similar choice are we going to let our situation and our circumstances shape our worldview and shape our view of God and what he can do or when we come to everything that life throws at us, whatever the challenge, whatever the circumstance, are we going to come and see it from the perspective of the power and the promise and the faithfulness of Him? Now, one one thing to point out, you know, when you think about it, if if this had happened, I guess as 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 I would read along, I would have expected, I mean, th these are the children of Israel. These are the people who are following God. I would have expected these other ten men and the rest of the, of the children of Israel to have responded to Caleb and Joshua by going, oh, you know, you're so right. We lost focus of who God is and how powerful he is. We were wrong. Thank you so much for pointing out God's perspective to us. We are so ashamed that we lost God's perspective and brought back a report that was a man's perspective. Yes, we are with you. Yes, we will go and take the land. But that's not what you read in Scripture, is it? It's not happening. 
as we read on, it says, you know, Caleb says, he says this, he says, don't rebel against the Lord and don't be afraid of the people of the land for we will devour them. Their protection has been removed from them and the Lord is with us. See how he was seeing things from a heavenly perspective. He could see with spiritual eyes. He says their protection is gone. The Lord is with us. And how did the people react when Caleb brought this word of encouragement? It says the whole community threatened to stone them to death. Not the Canaanites, but Joshua and Caleb. Wow, they said, get some rocks. We're going to get rid of these guys permanently. When they had brought the word of the Lord. Well, let Let me say this. You know, I mentioned the Atlanta fire chief. A strong faith, confidence in God, having a divine perspective isn't necessarily going to win friends and influence people. People just might pick up rocks. And you know, if God had not taken action, Caleb and Joshua might have died. But we've already read. the type of faith that we're called to stand for. That's the type of faith that Caleb walked with, having this God-centered, top-down perspective. He had this God-centered relation, this God-centeredness in his relationships as well. You see, Christian maturity, Christian character, I think is nowhere better revealed and in how you find yourself responding in situations, in relationships, especially relationships where other people get elevated above you. How do you react when you're living in the shadow of another believer? How do you react when you're the person behind the scenes, away from the limelight, Now, in this situation, Joshua had lived in the shadow of Moses for years. And Caleb was now living in the shadow of Joshua. Yet nowhere do we read of complaints. Nowhere do we we read of Caleb saying, Look, Lord, why don't you give me as much authority, reputation, and power as you gave Joshua? Because of Caleb's God-centeredness, He served faithfully and humbly behind the scenes knowing that Joshua was God's chosen one. That's an example of God-centeredness. And then look at Caleb's God-centeredness when it comes to uh, his age. We read in the text, 85 years old. And we'll see with that Caleb was 40 when he was commissioned along with Joshua and the other ten spies, so an additional 45 years have now passed. After Caleb, he's, he's 85 now. They spent 45 years, 40 years walking through the promised land. 
Now they've spent another five years taking the promised land. Now, has Caleb become cynical? Did he dwell on disappointment? You know, he could have been in the promised land 45 years earlier if only the people had listened to him and Joshua. Wouldn't that just burn you up? Knowing that you could have been settled 45 years earlier? Honestly, it would probably just eat away at me. But it, Scripture doesn't say he dwelled on that. I mean, apparently from, from, from the example of Caleb, old age is a time for energetic, energetic, energy, commitment to the cause of God in his kingdom. You know, I think some Christians are worn out by the time they turn 40. And by the time they turn 50, they're just, you know, coming to the church on Sunday morning to just sit in the pews. They've become ineffective. But look at Caleb. He's 85, and he says, I am still as strong today as I was the day Moses sent me out. My strength for battle and daily task is now as it was then. Moses was 80 when he took up his ministry and career. You know, we, we sometimes we think about retirement, you know, stepping out from a job. But is there such a thing as spiritual retirement? No. You know, I, I, I heard this phrase that says, you get to retire from the kingdom of God when you die. And no worries. You know, I, I don't know what any of you think about when you envision the future. For some of you, it may be so far away that you don't give it too much thought. You know, for some, it may be, well, let's start a retirement planning. But what was Caleb thinking? Lord, I'm ready for another battle. At 85, give me the hill country. I'll drive the Canaanites out. That's what he was thinking. I'll take Hebron, just as we've taken so many cities in the past. That's what Caleb was thinking. We need to learn from Caleb how to live our lives, even going into later years, to live lives that are wholly God-centered. And then I want to point out this phrase that I slightly pointed out earlier. Three occurrences of this phrase. Caleb remained loyal to the Lord. And we see it three times in this passage. Think about being 85 years old and honestly and sincerely being able to say as Caleb did, I wholly remained loyal This is Caleb. This is what he was remembered for. As an 85-year-old man, he wholly remained loyal to the Lord. He followed him by trusting in his name 
by trusting in his promises, by depending on the character of God. You know, you think about it, I kind of, I kind of mentioned it. God had promised to give Caleb the land through, through Moses. And, you know, Caleb and the Israelites had had to walk in circles for 40 years. And never do we read about Caleb shaking his fist going, where are you, God? When are you coming, when are you coming through on these promises? He waited 40 years. Imagine the pressure. Imagine the temptation to quit. Imagine the temptation to complain. Is God ever going to give me what he promised? Day after day, week after week, month after month, for 40 years. And yet, Caleb remained faithful and never complained. Caleb was still a man who remained loyal. So I just want to kind of come full circle as we looked at this, just kind of open the curtain just a little bit at the, at the life of Caleb. I think it goes back to the very beginning of, of what I said. How, how we perceive and think about God is going to inform and shape how we perceive and think about everything else. And we see that in the comparison between Caleb, Joshua, and the, and the other 12 men. You know, every moment of our lives, really, we're making decisions. And when we do that, do the circumstances of life, do the successes, the failures, do the joy, do the sadness, do the do the does the pain, does the suffering, does that? We need to ask those questions ourselves. Is that shaping my view of who God is? Am I allowing that to dictate what I think about God? Or am I going to go from the top down and allow God to dictate my view of the circumstances? Am I going to be like Caleb and look at everything, look at the, the mysteries in life, look at the struggles, look at the, the unexpected trials, look at the hardships, as well as the triumphs and successes. Am I going to look at those and see them in light of who God is? And that's, that's kind of my, my desire, what I'm trying to communicate this morning as we look at Caleb is that we are called to be people who are wholly God-centered. Isn't it going to be wonderful to reach 75 or 85 or 95 and, and be able to stand and say, I have wholly followed God all the way. I, have, I can stand today and say, I have wholly followed God. And, and then continue to say, I am confident that his purposes and promises will come to pass. 
because that was Caleb's thought all those 45 years. I am confident that his promises and purposes will come to pass. And we can hold on to that and stand firm in those promises. Let's pray. things in light of of you and yet I think we're so prone to be like the other ten men I think we're so prone to look at things especially struggles and difficulties and go it's too hard it's too big and I'm so feeble and we forget what a great God you are Father I pray that you would just plant this 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 the, the thought in our minds and our hearts the the reality of who you are and what a great big God you are in every circumstance help us father to see to see life to see all the circumstances that we encounter to see it and then respond perspective of who you are, what you have done for us in Christ, and what you will do to pass us through him. Father, help us to stand firm, to stand strong.